All right, that's a sample of Stay Hungry, the Twisted Sister song from their 1984 album of the same name. The song, playing from a turntable, is from the 2020 audiophile release by Mobile Fidelity Records. Hello, this is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine. Welcome back to the Goldmine Podcast. The Goldmine Podcast is a proud member of the Pantheon Group of Podcasts at PantheonPodcast.com. Stay Hungry was really Twisted Sisters' breakthrough album. It catapulted them into the mainstream, selling more than 3 million copies in the U.S. alone. As the album's mega-hit songs like The Slade Sound and We're Not Gonna Take It and I Wanna Rock were heard everywhere. Their slapstick music videos with Animal House actor Mark Metcalf ruled TV as well. Uh, the album had cuts like Burn in Hell to keep the longtime Twisted Sister diehard fans happy, too. This audiophile album release is a damn good one. As I said, it's on Mobile Fidelity or Mobile Fidelity Sound Lab. Some refer to them as simply MoFi, M-O-F-I, as well. It's a record company that has been one of the leaders in audiophile recording since the late 70s. Now, we're going to talk to John J.J. French about the release of Stay Hungry on Mobile Fidelity Records. And we'll talk about the making of the album itself back in 1984. Uh, Goldmine readers know J.J. as the columnist for Now We're 64, which shows his love, his extreme love for the Beatles and bands, British invasion bands particularly, from that era. Uh, the world knows him, though, as the guitarist of Twisted Sister, and he's the guy who has managed the band's legacy for years. So let's talk with JJ right after this message from CygnusRadio.com. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine, the music collector's magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. Okay, so what I wanted to discuss is obviously the Mobile Fidelity release, some of the other releases of Stay Hungry. Also, you know, a little bit of the experience of the album. Talk about why you chose or preferred Mobile Fidelity to give the, okay. you know, the official okay. audiophile treatment to okay. Stay Hungry. So the answer to um, why Mo Mo Mobile Fidelity and Twisted Sister is, is an interesting question. I am an audiophile. Um, uh, and I have a reputation in the, in the business of being an audiophile. And when you're in an audiophile, you've been dealing in high-end uh, versions of certain records. You know that certain records sound really particularly good audiophile versions, and they're standard. Everybody knows Steely Dan makes great-sounding records, and Pink Floyd makes great-sounding records. Um, Genesis, great-sounding records. And there's a certain bands, producers, and labels that always had great-sounding records. T for the Tillerman is a great-sounding record. These became basically a hallmark albums, but when you went to buy a stereo system, they would play it in a store. And heavy metal bands never fell into that genre because the production for heavy metal bands was never looked on in the same mm. manner as these studio-quality recordings by real, quote, musicians. Okay, and that's a real big difference. And I don't. And this is unfortunately that slaps a kind of a stereotypical label over heavy metal as not 
great musicians or not great productions, just kind of like it's the songs, it's the heaviness of it, but you're not sitting there going, wow, I think the bass track was recorded spectacularly or the drum hit here, blah, blah, blah. Well, but thought, of, people, thought of more underground, listen, thought of as more underground, right? Yeah, more underground, more of the songs are the important thing, not necessarily the quality of the album. Yeah, yeah. You know? So Zeppelin records never get demoed for hi-fi, okay? They just don't. And and, and, and Black Sabbath does it, and ACDC does it, and Van Halen kind of, Templeman was a really good producer, kind of brought it out, but for the most part, they're not looked on as great. So in the general scheme of things, as an audiophile, as someone who's a record collector, someone who has a high-end audio system, I rarely, if ever, play heavy metal bands on my stereo system because the system is not particularly enhancing the experience for me. Mm. I can listen to them on I can listen to them on, on 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 smaller systems and they're fine, but I'm not necessarily listening to them critically on my high end system. And that's just the way that's just the way it is. So when classic rock has developed over time, and the the decision among record labels is to mine every different version of every different great album, it becomes more of a commercial decision. So at now we are 35 years after the release of Stay Hungry, mm -hmm. okay? And the album is a classic record. It sold millions of copies mm -hmm. around the world. I don't know how many they're up to now, six, seven, eight million. I, I don't know. But it's a worldwide established record. In fact, it's one of the biggest selling heavy metal albums in the history of Canada. It's one of the biggest heavy metal <laughs> albums in the history of Sweden. So these become what is known as coffee table records. Mm -hmm. Everyone's got it. For whatever reason, sociologically, everyone's got it. So... When you read the record catalogs, like the Acoustic Sounds catalog or the, or the Music Direct catalog, and you see these specialty pressings, over the last five years, what you're seeing in specialty pressings is the onslaught of heavy metal specialty pressings that did not exist five years ago. Mm -hmm. Five years ago, you would not see a specialty pressing of a Sabbath record, a ZZ Top record, a Motley Crue record. Um, you wouldn't. You just don't, because they figured the, the age, it's not... You know, people don't want to know about it, and, and the guys who are buying it have these big stereos and not going to play Sabbath, Sabbath Volume 4 on their super systems to show them off. But in the last five years, record labels have made a, a decision, a commercial decision. A, vinyl is back. B, because vinyl is back, we want to present deluxe packaging. Mm -hmm. in every way possible. Well, the first deluxe packaging for Stay Hungry existed five years ago during the 30th anniversary. And that was a remaster of the album with additional tracks of the demos that went with the record. Now, this is a typical thing that you see the mm -hmm. record labels are doing. They are basically mining the kitchen sink. I love the it. Beatles are the and the Beatles are the perfect example of mining yeah. the kitchen sink. It's like, <laughs> you know, the Beatles would pride themselves on... The, the track that's on the record is the 17th version because it's the best version. But now everybody wants to hear the third version, the fourth version, the fifth version, the sixth version because Ringo coughed between takes <laughs> and John sneezed and yeah. Paul said to John, your shoelace is untied. All of a sudden, everybody's mining everything for every reason. So we've really gone backwards and forwards. We've gone backwards meaning that all the reasons why you didn't release it is because it wasn't the best version to, well, now we need to release it because we're so historically important. Everybody wants to know how the hell the, 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 the Sistine Chapel was painted. You know, right. It's not enough that you had the Sistine Chapel. You want to know how they mixed the paint 
to paint the Sistine Chapel. <laughs> and so you're going to sit down and go, well, they used 3% red, 8% yellow, and some kerosene. And, you know, and he did it on his back for three hours before he realized that his back was hurting him and he had to turn over to the left and then do something. And this is where it's come to. It's, and, and, and the beneficiaries of it are the record labels and the artists because more people want more stuff. So Stay Hungry falls into this category of classic rock, Enough people know this record to want to have a various various versions of it, and maybe let's have even a higher quality version of what exists right now. Now, when you have to consider that heavy metal bands record with Marshall amplifiers, which are heavily distorted, mm -hmm. okay? Well, let's talk about the real mentality of re reproducing a lot of distortion with no extra added distortion. I mean, it's almost ludicrous in its description because you're already having over-modulated guitars and, 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 and most of the stuff recorded in heavy metal bands is in the red zone of, of, of saturated, of tape saturation. Mm -hmm. So everything is overblown and distorted to begin with and frankly vinyl gives a certain patina and warmth to the distortion which makes records of these kinds of bands really interesting. But when you really analyze it, like clinically analyze it, like if you were going to sit at a console and listen to the playback parts of any given track, isolating the track to hearing the distortion, you may say to yourself, well, why do I need to reproduce that distortion with no extra added distortion? Mm. When the added distortion, which is the minute distortion that's added during the process of mastering and plating and, and just mixing and all that other stuff comes into play, and the fact is that it does, and if the desire is to get closer to the experience of what a masterer and mixer listen to it, that moment they're sitting at the console listening back on a pair of ns10 speakers which are the worst freaking speakers ever made by a non-communist country to listen to freaking music in but they're analytical then you get into this position of i want to listen to this better version uh, or perceived better version so what comes next a mofi release because it elevates the band's position from just being an average heavy metal band to a heavy metal band by the cognoscenti. So who do you get? You open up Music Direct, you open up um, uh, Acoustic Sounds magazine, uh, their, their directories, and you see now mofi versions or Acoustic Sounds, which is another <laughs> label, right? Mm -hmm. Versions of Sabbath, Def yes. Leppard, Motley Crue, uh, Kiss, all these bands that, for the most part, never cared that much about, quote, high fidelity. Let's mm -hmm. be honest here. These records were made to sound good on a car stereo. Mm. These records were made to sound good on a cassette deck because that's what mattered. They were, they, they were made to sound good on FM radio, so when you're driving in your car and you want to hear, you know, smoking in the boys' room, you just crank it up, right? And, and, that's, how it's, and, and that's how these producers basically mixed. They mixed, I remember Worman, Tom Worman, coming home with a mix. He invited his house one afternoon after recording. That's Stanley. your producer, he, right. Okay. Our producer, Stanley, he comes home. This is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. We go to his house for dinner, and he pulls out a cassette deck. He pulls out his cassette. I said, what's this? He goes, that was a, he goes, the rough mix from this afternoon. I want to play it back. I thought he was going to take it into the living room and play it back on a big stereo. Puts it in his little $99 Sanyo cassette player on his kitchen table. And I said, why here? He goes, if it doesn't sound good here, it's no good anywhere. <laughs> That's what he said to me. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. And for all of the arguments we had with Worman and all the disagreements we had with Worman, you can't deny he made a record that sounded great on the radio. Um, so a record that sounds great on the radio 
of a heavy metal band with a particular attitude where the song is the key to it and not a particular fidelity, you don't necessarily think at those moments you're going to have a high-res exact reproduction of something that existed in the studio because nobody really cares. Well, now people care. Mm. So it becomes a commercial. It's a commercial decision. So if you ask me why MoFi versus um, Acoustic Sounds versus Sundays versus uh, uh, there's there's like 10 different high end. Right. Okay. But the biggest ones are Mo, MoFi is the biggest. Mm. Everybody knows Mobile Fidelity. It's the, the, the name has been around for the longest time, has the most prestige attached to it. Um, and when you say I got a MoFi release or MoFi release, that, that elevates your perception in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Rhino has a deal with MoFi. Yeah, okay. And, and, and that's what they do. Mm. So they'll say to MoFi, uh, we, and you know, Rhino specializes in a shitload of classic artists. Yes, they do. Because they've got a, they got a ton. Mm. Grateful Dead, the Cars, I mean, the Leo, you know, the Doors, I mean, come on. It's like a who's who of freaking FM rock. In fact, I have your anniversary edition of this album by... Exactly. So, of course. You know, so I'm having a conversation with the president of... of, of um, well, first of all, the head of MoFi is a friend of mine anyway, Josh Bazaar. And I said to him a couple of years ago, why don't you do a MoFi version of Stay Hungry? He says, the record label hasn't asked us to. I said, is that how that works? Or you ask the label. And he said, go either way. We can, we can ask... Um, we can it, it, it can go we can say well we think that we're getting a lot of calls for this or the label can go we'd like you to do this but it has to be a partnership between the label and mobile fidelity so they deemed stay hungry this year mm. on the 35th anniversary to be um one of the albums that they were going to do so that's your very long answer okay to a very short well, question well, well let me ask you this why the uh audiophile treatment of okay you got the original master recording that's what this is um but you could take it a step further than that if you wanted to and is this you know you're an audiophile guy is this as advertised bringing a record to the closest it can be to what it sounds like in the studio mm -hmm. i don't know if that's you got to have the equipment for that first of all but I put it on my stereo, which is, you know, av you know, it's middle ground probably. And the drums were just so much more in my face now with this MoFi release. I don't know if this is what you wanted to happen. It uh, Maybe that's how it originally sounded. But, uh, you know, at first I was kind of skeptical because I have my original record on Atlantic. I usually like to listen to the original. But now I prefer this copy i guess you're right i was kind of skeptical too because heavy metal albums but i've always considered twisted sister also a classic rock band but mostly what stood out to me was the drum sound so now this is kind of if i'm gonna listen to stay hungry this is gonna be my preference and i have the original for you know nostalgic reasons i guess you could say but also it's only three thousand copies and numbered how did you come up with that limited edition number? Was it a matter of budget, or is that like the pressing plants run? That's a decision made between the record label gotcha. and MoFi. I'm not, in fact, to, in fact, the truth is they didn't involve me in the mastering hmm. at all. And they don't involve the artist. Interesting. In the, I mean, let's put it this way. How's this? Steve Steve Miller has a, a, a mastered greatest hits record, and I, and I we... I met him at a show once uh, several years ago, and I said, by the way, I got DCC did his, uh, which is uh, another label. And I said, well, I got your DCC version of uh, 
Grace, it sounds amazing. He goes, really? They never told me they were even doing it. And this is the guy that is, he's a manager. He's his own manager, right? Mm. So they never even asked him. Now, they don't have to ask. They can do what the hell they want with the masters. But you would think you would like to have the artist involved. Right. You would think you would like to have the artist happy with it. You would think you'd like the artist to tweet about it or write about it or say something about it. And here, Steve Miller didn't even know it was coming out. Mm. And then you've got Pink Floyd, who, you know, they go over every second of a re-release right. somebody for pink floyd sits there and makes sure that every single second of every re-release and every piece of artwork is scrutinized that's true well let me and, get... and, and so it, and and the beatles same you thing, expect you know, that EMI. right well you expect that like you said you really didn't expect it with um guitar rock as much or heavy metal no you don't we're, we're still looked on as like some like poor cousin mm. You know, I can't believe Steely Dan's reproductions were ever done without Becker or Fagan there, mm. overseeing every aspect of of it. I can't. I don't know for a fact, but I can't imagine. I can't imagine a, a Genesis. Let's say I can't because these acts are considered more highbrow, more musical, more more musically sophisticated. I, I don't know. You know, I, I'll bet you... So the Rolling Stone stuff was redone in SACD years ago. Uh, and ABCO owns the rights. Mm -hmm. And, the, the, and, and you know, the Stones and ABCO have hated each other for, yeah. you know, for like well, ever. Well documented, and, yeah. And yeah, and I don't believe ABCO ever asked the Stones. And I don't believe they have a... I, I, I don't, Probably Stones not. Talk to, I'm, I'm sorry? Probably not. <laughs> Yeah, and, and the Stones have never mentioned the Abco releases, and I've got right. all the Abco. I love them. I, I like which, them. Which sound fabulous? Yeah. By the way, right? Best sounding Stone stuff ever. I agree. But I don't believe I don't believe the Stones were ever even asked because they're at war with them, and uh, they hate them. And the fact that Abco has the rights to their first, you know, uh, seven eight albums pisses them off. They're angry at themselves. You know, for uh, for all of Mick Jagger's incredible business acumen yep how he managed to get fucked on that one i don't know but he got fucked on it because they mm. have no say in it so when the rolling stones come out with that that box set for 380 dollars you know the rolling stones uh from 1972 to 2016 you know these are all albums that no one gives a fuck about <laughs> I mean, well i gotta say you know, i gotta say though apco has done right by the stones legacy because whoa, these whoa, whoa. I'm not telling you they did not do a great job. I know, I know. That, that's not the question here. The question really is, how much does a musician's input yes. get placed in, in, right. in this? And all I'm saying is, in the case of the Stones, who are, you know, one of the biggest bands on earth, I don't think that they were consulted. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Okay? Well, I that's think it. with... And, I and think we weren't consulted necessarily. Yeah. When they did stay hungry, they just, I knew it was happening. I know Josh, I asked to be involved. Yeah. I said, can I just even, I'll fly out on my own dime. And they didn't contact me. Well, I got to tell you, Mofi did right by Twisted Sisters Legacy, because here's my review in a nutshell. I, I actually prefer this disc now. Um, I think the drums on the hits, uh, the anthem hits sound better. And they, it pops. It definitely po makes the song pop more. And 
God, the song, those anthems popped as it is. Now they really do. And sure, you can't drive around in a car with it, but which is perfect for anthems, but still. And also some of the other deep cuts, um, definitely for me, like Burn in Hell, that has done, this new MoFi release has done, you know, it's made Burn in Hell sound better, a, a song well, like that. You're 100% right, and this is how weird fans are, and you know how weird fans can be. Yeah. There are fans that don't care if something sounds better because it doesn't sound like it did when they first heard it when they were 13 years old. Mm. And so you can have all the Beatles remastering in the world, which I love to death. I love the Beatles remaster. But I got friends who come over and go, I don't want to hear the remaster. I like the way Sgt. Pepper sounded. They, fu- they, they screwed up the remaster. I go, no, they didn't. I know. They made it I better. Know. You know, fans listen to our first version of Under the Blade released by Secret Records, which is some of the worst sounding. It's just terrible sounding. It's terrible. But, you know, some of the fans just live on that shit. I love know? it. I love that album. You know, they, they, they <laughs> love that. They love it. And, and, and they just think that any attempt to improve it is stupid, even when the band tried to improve it, which we did. And they don't want to know about it. But you know what? I love fans for that. Yeah. You know, in a way, you have to, like, go, okay, if that's your experience, yeah. then that's, uh, you know, you have every right. I mean, we're not selling heroin to school children, right. <laughs> you know? It's just, it's just music. It's reproduced music. And if you happen to have your ear attuned to a particular version of reproduced music, that's how you're going to stay. Well, I enjoy I enjoy listening to sound too. I like different sounds, and I noticed right. that the drum sound. And you were right about the guitars because I didn't notice much difference there. The guitars pretty much sounded the same to me, and it has probably mm-hmm. something to do with what you were explaining before about amplification. I don't know. I must admit, when I first opened it up, um, the first one of the first thoughts I didn't even put it on yet, but I was like, "Where's the bonus disc, man?" But then I thought yeah. to myself, Pat, uh, this this is an audiophile album. You're not going to have the bonus tests of outtakes and early demos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, 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 how about this? We have two songs that were recorded for that album yeah. that never made that album. Uh, it was uh, Blast and Fast and Loud and Never Say Never. Oh, okay. Those are the two songs that were released on a later uh, CD. Those songs were originally recorded, at least the bass and drum tracks, were originally mm. recorded for Stay Hungry. So I suggested to them, we, we, we redid them, mm. and I suggested to them, why don't we put that on the album? Yeah. So that we really have a complete album, because these are the songs that were recorded for that record. I'll, 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 I even said to D, where would you put these songs, you know, if you could redo them? And have them on the album because you know it's 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 a piece of art, and D wrote the song. So I said to D, you know, give me your opinion. Where would you sequence these two songs? Well, I pitched this to Atlantic, and it went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And their answer is no, for two reasons. One, it's not part of the original disc. Interesting. And two, because it was finished digitally will not sound like the original disc, no matter what happens in remastering. Uh, right, so the continuity, it'll, right, okay. Yeah, it'll always sound like extra tracks are thrown in, but not sound like it's part of the fabric of the album. Mm. So I went, okay, that's a decision that you guys want to have made. I respect it and let it go with that. 
But that's the point of a MoFi release. Yeah. A MoFi release is supposed to take a classic piece of work and just bring it up to technological standards that meet today's more demanding systems. So will there be another Twisted Sister album on MoFi? I don't know, but I do know that we are re-releasing Come Out and Play on vinyl, on heavy vinyl shortly, which is the 30th anniversary of Come Out and Play, but it's not on MoFi. Okay. It's on a record label called Friday Records. Oh, okay, yeah. Do you, do you deal with them? Yes. Yeah. So Friday is a big fan of Twisted, and I said to uh, the President Rhino, we need to have a 30th anniversary to come out and play, and, and the Friday said yes, and I said we should add one track that was actually part of the cassette nice. version of the album. Yeah. But we never made the vinyl version, so it was made and recorded at the same time, so it would thematically fit as a bonus track because it's the right sound at the right time. Okay. And that's King of the Fools. All right. And and that is being added to the vinyl version, which will be coming out shortly. Okay. But not on MoFi, on just Friday Records. Okay, so that also explains why on MoFi it's pretty much the original art uh, the gatefold, all that stuff. Everything is pretty much like the original, if I can I remember. Well, do you know that Atlantic lost all the artwork except for Stay Hungry? <laughs> all the artwork for every album except Stay Hungry was lost. Are you serious? And all <laughs> was the it because of the fire they had a on, warehouse fire? All, all the artwork you see, the reproduction is digitally reproduced from other sources. Ouch. But the original artwork designed by Atlantic was all thrown in the garbage oh. 30 years ago. God. Which, by the way, is in the garbage with thirty-five other, uh, thirty thousand other bands. Sure, I know, but you know, because they didn't know and they didn't care, and so when we re-evaluated the um, the catalog, and we we found years ago, I said, "So where's the artwork?" They couldn't find it. Not only could they not find it, but they contacted Atlantic in Europe, Japan. You know, yeah. to see if there's alternate versions of the artwork. Yeah, and it was effectively destroyed. So all the artwork for Come Out and Play, all the artwork for every other record is reproduced artwork from other versions. And the only artwork that I know that is consistent with the original is Stay Hungry because it's the only album that stayed in constant production. You know, they stopped releasing our records for about 10 years. Right. And then we did a, a deal with Atlantic where they let me go to another label and license it. And that's when we found out the artwork didn't exist. Okay, and well, we we paid for the artwork to be reproduced. Oh. Well, this this is a good segue into the the artwork because this artwork was done by Mark Weiss, and as you know, we had a article on album covers specifically by Mark Weiss, and Mark was telling about the story behind each album cover. And um, this one, obviously, was supposed to be a, a group shot, right? And it ended up being D on the cover. Well, if you see the Still Hungry CD, yep. Still Hungry, that was the original idea of the cover. Yes. Okay. Still Hungry was, was, was a Mark Weiss photo that was supposed to be the original cover. Right. But when you guys left, I guess, for the shoot, you were there for like 24 hours. There's <laughs> something ungodly. <laughs> You know, this is different than the photo shoots of today because he had to like line everything up. I mean, you know, you lived through it. So, and I, I did. I hated. I hated everything having to do with rock and roll except playing live. I hated <laughs> everything. 
No, no, I hated recording. I hated making videos. I hated photo shoots. I didn't know how much I would hate this shit until I was in the middle of it. And I just He even said it. that you guys were like giving him the finger and not being yeah. very cooperative because Yeah. It's like fuck this, man. I hated it. So hated you guys everything. went home and, and D decided to stay and he did those solo shots. Yeah, uh, and that's basically what happened. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Mark was adamant about saying it really wasn't him. <laughs> you guys are upset at him, but um, it was the record company. They decided to um, choose that shot, and it became D became kind of like the poster boy for heavy metal um, yeah. during that time. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. But I get it. I get it because Twisted Sister was always a group. That's how I always looked at Twisted Sister, um, not as the the lead singer being the face of Twisted Sister. But, so I get it. I, I get why you guys are disappointed in it, but... Oh. Yeah, it, for, and D, here's what happened. Like, D, D didn't do anything to to support the band as a band. He right. went with it. Yeah. So if he had said, if he had said, no, man, it's the whole band or not, nothing. Mm. But he didn't. He just said, okay, fine, it'll be me. You know, right. and, I, and that's where the separation started. The real right. separation kind of started at the thing of well i can be this and right. that's 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 where that's where it all became that's where it all fell apart yeah up until then it was a group right and at that moment it became not a group well don't forget so, you were, you were transitioning from a band in clubs to a band now on arenas and festivals um so you're also evolving right um, so, well, yeah, except we had already we had already left the clubs two years earlier. Yeah, yeah, true. So we spent the entire 1983 on tour in the U.S. and Europe, playing in arenas. And I saw out. you at I saw you at a casino with um, with Metallica opening. So yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you found casino. You saw us. Yes, with Metallica opening, right? And um, <laughs> so that already happened you know and and the, the band itself was bored you know the club scene was boring um because we'd already played to five thousand people on a regular basis you know that wasn't a big deal we'd already done we'd already we'd already played yeah, to what, a, what a people. show what a show in the clubs you know what i mean i mean i, I yeah but but everything get but but pat everything gets old eventually. I, I know but for me the right? fan so, i really enjoy i've never seen a band in a oh, club yeah. like that i well, love clubs I love clubs. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be that amazing, and yeah. it was amazing. We, yeah. we put on concert level performances in clubs. That's but you did. had to move to the next level. No, I no, I yeah, we didn't. had to, and then everything, you know, everything ultimately gets old. Oh. You know, like what's it like being a band? I said, well, the first time you play in a club is great, then it gets old, and then the first time oh. you play in a bigger club, it's great, and then it gets old. And then first time you play for ten thousand people, it gets old, and the first time you get signed, it, that's great, and then it gets old, and then you can't wait to have the record in the store, and then you see it, and then that gets old because it's not in enough stores, and then <laughs> and, and then the first time you hear your record on the radio, it's great until it's not being played enough <laughs> on the radio, and then the first time you hit a hundred thousand units, great until a hundred thousand units isn't worth shit, and then it has to be. 500,000 units until that doesn't matter. Then it has to be a million units until that doesn't matter. And I realized after a while, nothing matters. And the reason why I know nothing matters is because I finally had the heightened, ridiculous conversation with J.Y. from Styx. In 1985, I was on a boat ride with him 
a promotional boat ride in Florida for the for uh, the Abrams convention. So this was at the peak of Miami Vice. And there's Coke dealers everywhere and Armani jackets everywhere, and there's everyone's wasted on blow. And we're on some fancy boat, you know, in the intercoastal highway, and 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 there, and JY is there. And I walk up to him and I said, and and at that point, Stay Hungry was a, just hit double platinum. So I'm feeling you know pretty good, right? I'm a rock star. Sounds good. But I had just read that. Uh, Sticks had just gotten their fourth triple platinum in a row. Wow. They were the first American band to have four triple platinum. So this is 1985, okay? I walk up to JY, and I go, hey, man, I just read you guys had the fourth triple platinum in a row. Congratulations. That's amazing. He goes, eh, if we were signed to Columbia, it would have been four quintuple platinums in a row. And I thought to myself, <laughs> it's never enough. No, it's true. <laughs> You know, it's never enough, and it gets old fast. And, and you can't please you can't please everyone, including some of the fans. When you transition to more of an arena rock, or um, oh, of course not, because you're leaving them. Yes. you know, it's my, my my band is gone. You know, it's like well, that's what our documentary was about. When you talk, right. when you look at Donna, you know, yeah. Donna goes, "I lost my boys." Where, where you, you know, know, if you listen to Burning Hell, that was that could have come out. You know, five years earlier. I mean, I, I, you know, it doesn't make sense really that they. I guess you got to look at it at the time. You know, metal was seen as an underground thing. Yeah, and also, but except that Motley Crue had already gone double platinum with Theater of Pain. Yes. And Rat was taking off, and I and I kept on thinking to myself. You're better I than said, me. you know, at the way MTV is churning out these heavy metal bands, I felt like we were little planes on an airway, on an air, on a, you know? Well, boy, did that change. When you got the guy from Animal House, I mean, damn, that, that really, that really nailed it, man. Uh, well, again, again, it's a, confl- it's a confluence of circumstances that are impossible to reproduce because they were all, mis- not mistakes, but they were never designed. Right. Like with some grand plan early enough. It was just all fell into place. Listen, we missed the boat so many times that it was about time we caught the wave. Yeah, I agree. And I we, totally agree. And we, caught, and we caught the wave. But how many bands don't catch the wave? No. Never well, catch the wave. They're, they're, you're quite right about that. All right, so we pretty much uh, nailed down uh, everything about Stay Hungry and it coming out okay. on Mobile Fidelity. I really, hopefully, people listen to this and pick it up. Um, well, I think it's, listen, I'm, I'm proud of the record. Yeah. I am proud of it. It's, 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 the record sold millions of copies. We're not going to take it, and I Want to Rock are, the mo- are two of the most famous anthems yeah. in the history of rock right. music. And, and it, uh, you know, I just, we did, we're doing a deal, a deal with Disney t- uh, next week for another television show. We were, the shit's all over the place, you know, and, and, and it's a great legacy. I mean, I, we're not I, in the Rock Roll Hall of Fame. We haven't been recognized, which is a shame uh, that those idiots haven't figured it out that we oh, they will. the American work ethic. They will. And, and you know what? Um, I'm still learning stuff about those songs. I mean, I just learned yesterday I was doing a, a podcast on Christmas records and um, mm-hmm. the collector told me we're not going to take it as, uh, you know, it's from uh, Christmas Carol, uh, all yeah, Come All well, You Faithful. It's, it's Come All You Faithful. Yeah, yes. I never knew that. And, uh, yeah, well, not deliberately. Dean never knew it either. It was told to him by Al Petrelli, a guitar player that Dee worked with on Solo Project, who mentioned to Dee one day <laughs> in a rehearsal, by the way, do you know that we're not going to take it as Come All You Faithful? And Dee said, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so he transposed it over it, and, and Dee goes, oh my God. Yeah. Interesting. So, so when we were talking about the Christmas record, Dee goes, you know, this is really amazing because we can 
the hook here is come all you faithful is is we're not going to take it right and that became the, that became the hook my kid thinks it's still about the revolutionary war but um <laughs> <laughs> and it may be who knows everyone has puts uh, their own spin on it right <laughs> yeah and, and, but but luckily thankfully the song worked. We kind of transposed it over. Yeah. Back. So we did a brand new track. It's not exact, but it's close enough. Right. It's close enough to 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 create the feeling that okay. um, that that it's somehow connected to it, and and that's fine because it makes people happy. And the Christmas record was a great record for the band. You know why? Because it was a happy record, and mm-hmm. it made the band happy to be together again. What I also learned something about. Uh... D is that he wrote this song, God Bless Everyone, and it was the Celine Dion song. And because yeah. he made a comment um, in an interview that he was doing the interview from the house that Celine built. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so that, that, obviously, the royalties, the royalties from that, from that song. So yeah. obviously, you guys got you know the knack for doing Christmas stuff. So. This makes leads well, to the question. Here's what happened. Why D, not more? When D had this idea years ago to get Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and all these bands to do a Christmas, each do a Christmas song. Right. When you listen to our Christmas album, if you really listen to it carefully, mm-hmm. what we did with the Christmas song was there was two things. One was only use famous songs; everybody could sing along with it. Number two, we would arrange each song to make it sound like the bands that we would love would play it. So. When you hear Silver Bells, it sounds like ACDC would do Silver Bells. When you hear I Saw Mommy Kiss and Santa Claus, it's like Judas Priest is doing I Saw Mommy Kiss and Santa Claus. When you hear White Christmas, it's like Iron Maiden doing White Christmas. It was done deliberately as a homage to all the bands that we loved. And so if you really kind of get into the minutia of the, of the album and the way the songs peel themselves out, then you have to understand it was done that way. Mm-hmm. So there's really there's a lot going on on that Christmas record, a whole lot going on. On so record. why not another one? I mean, I'm sure it would go over very well. Um, you know, we thought about it. Uh, we thought about it years ago, and we just uh, we just it just never it just the idea petered out. But here's the amazing thing: next year is the 15th anniversary. 15th anniversary of um the, of the christmas album wow and we're floating the idea of recording a couple of new songs okay that'd be cool and re- and re-releasing it so we also may have in the vaults um an instrumental of the hallelujah chorus and which would ha- which would be if we have it the last aj Pirro track hmm. that we have um which would be great so um so we're, we're 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 looking to see if that is a practical reality. Yeah, those are no brainers, uh, right there. That to me. Yeah, so we 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 loved it. I love not only did I love the Christmas album, I love the Christmas DVD. I love playing the Christmas songs live. They're so much fun. I mean, it's a lot of fun. That stuff was really fun. That's what made the reunion such a good thing for us that we came back. Right. Because we were able to really come back as friends. Yes. And um and and that Christmas record just. You know, it became the biggest metal Christmas. When we did it, I think a lot of metal bands thought we were nuts. Right you now, know? it's like, like Trans Siberian Orchestra, and you know, it's big. It's a market. It's it a market. Well, when we were doing our shows, um, and and I would stand on stage and say, "Ladies and gentlemen, we are the Transvestite Siberian Orchestra." <laughs> <laughs> 
is how I introduced the band, you know. I said, in case you walked in off the street didn't know where you were, because we were in full makeup, I said, you, we, you walked to the Transvestite Siberian Orchestra concert. It just sounds just like the clubs, JJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in a way, Pat. It's more of the humor of what we used to do in the bars. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I look forward to that idea of uh, the, a, a new Twisted Christmas uh, reissue, whatever you want to call it, uh, special edition, all these things they call these reissues now. Special yeah. limited edition deluxe. <laughs> And I shouldn't laugh because I like them all, um, but it, it gets uh, the wording gets kind of funny. Anyway, so th- it does. But 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 thank you so much. And by the way, on an aside, if yeah. you haven't watched the Bee Gees documentary, watch it. Okay, it's absolutely. It's absolutely Did astonishing. You- I'm going to be interviewing the director for my podcast tomorrow. Are you? Did you? Uh, um, yeah. Did you like the Bee Gees before they became popular? I was a Bee Gees fan. Yeah, I was a Bee Gees fan. Because I tried to New York Mind Disaster, nineteen forty-one. Okay. And then you did, did so, you drop them when they became disco, or did you? No, that's a complicated answer. I never not liked them, right. but the disco thing became an operative uh, antagonism <coughs> product for us to exploit. Yes, and that and we did. And so I'm not going to tell you that I hated them. What I will say is that. The, the disco world, as it was affecting the marketplace that we were living in, which is the Long Island club world, yes, it became this war of club owners behind rock and roll clubs versus disco clubs. Okay, that makes so sense. We were, watching, we were watching the threat of going out of business because disco was taking over and we were losing places to play. And so we kind of jumped on the bandwagon of disco sucks, not from any other point of view than it was ruining our economic base. And uh, and when we said that the night that we said Disco Sucks for the first time, and I have a particular memory of it, Dee may have a different memory of it, I have a particular memory of it, the place exploded. I mean, it was almost like the way professional wrestling creates good guys and bad guys, okay? So you've got baby faces and you've got heels. And the way they're marketed is, is uh, the heels are the bad guys, anti-American, Iranian, Russian bad guys, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, and the, the good guys are America, right or wrong, love it or leave it. And we kind of jumped on the kind of pro wrestling mentality of us <laughs> versus them. And, 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 and we wrote it for the longest time, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. good or bad. We, 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 we stayed on it because we thought it was a funny thing to stay on. And, no, and at no that idea. time, they were burning albums in Comiskey Park. Yes, they were. Yes, they so, were. So it was yes, kind of... Were, and, uh, but we weren't part of that. But we no. were smashing disco albums. I mean, yeah, let's yeah. be fair. We were, we were smashing disco albums, and you know, we 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 made an enemy out of disco to 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 make a more fervent fan base. We manipulated the audience. I right. We really we really manipulated the. Audience I remember I was influenced to buy a disco sucks T-shirt and. Uh, one guy who I was friends with came up and said, hey, man, I thought you were a good guy, man. What's with this disco suck shit? And I was like, I just felt dumbfounded because I just thought it was a joke. I didn't really take it that seriously. <laughs> but... Right. And yet, and we, did, and we didn't either. 
uh, you know, until certain things happened, we realized that it was being misunderstood, and right. and then we then we moved away from it um, after we did destroy the 2001 disco club because a lot of the clubs were transitioning out of disco back to rock, and we were asked to defrock these rooms, and they would let our fans come in and just smash the rooms up, and they would take the John Travolta wallpaper off the wall. I mean, it was really a, a crazy time, and it was almost theatrical in its approach. In other words, we we utilized the manipulative powers of the band mm. to create a big fan base of people who wanted to watch the spectacle of this craziness go down. And we built our popularity on it. And for better or worse, we were associated with it. Yeah. So anyway, you know, but watch the documentary if you can. It's yeah. a great documentary. Well, thanks, man, for taking the time. I know you're a busy guy, so. Um, Thank you, Pat. I'll get As this always, up. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. You have a good holiday, man. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks, listeners. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine. Go to Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and Record Stores to pick up the latest copy of Goldmine in print. And go to goldminemag.com for exclusive content, not in the magazine. And if you sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, which keeps you informed on the music collecting hobby and the classic artists you love, you'll receive a free download, what we call the Goldmine Extra, it's a quarterly e-mag. This latest one compiles the column of fabulous flip sides from the author Warren Kurtz. It takes us, the record lover, on a fun ride through flip sides, or as they're called, B-sides as well, of 45 RPM singles. You can also go to the website to get a subscription, 60% off the newsstand price, and check out all that the site has to offer. We will... See you next time on the Goldmine Podcast. Cheers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.